This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by Manchester United legend, Paul Parker. We're going to talk over another difficult week at Manchester United, which basically is my predefined intro for the podcast and rarely needed to change it all season. Um, please like and subscribe if you're watching. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions in. We've already got one in this morning before before we even went live. If you're watching the replay as well, hello. Um, do feel free to comment. We do reply. Um, before we start, Paul, um, criminal act from me last week. Um, forgot to wish you happy birthday as we were live on the on the podcast. So happy birthday for last week. Um, did Did you have a good day? Yeah, it was it was, a, it was a long day. I think made longer by the fact of keep remembering how old I am now. So um, that makes it even harder, really hard. Um, yeah, good week. Yeah, not not too bad to be honest, Wayne. Quite quite a bit of football, football doing football games, and it's getting to the point now where I can't wait for the season to end. Yeah, um, definitely, and I, I know that Paul doesn't mean that, so he can get a summer off talking to me. I think it, we're both a bit beleaguered with the idea of coming on here every Monday morning and having to talk about the same old things, really. Um, so if you're watching this, obviously it's going live on Twitter as well as Facebook and, and YouTube as well. I'm having a few days off on Twitter just to concentrate on sort of being positive and everything like that. I needed a break from it to, to recharge. So a lot of people reaching out to be kind. Really appreciate that as always. Um, a few people being snarky about, you know, why I tell everyone they're having a break. You know, a couple of reasons, you know, the first is I do have some good friends on social media. They worry if I go quiet a little bit. So just reassuring them I'm fine. Um, to maybe a few years ago, like now, I decided to be upfront about my own mental health and anxiety on a more public front with that. And, um, I just think it's better to be present and tell people like what's going on at that moment in time. And I think if you're open about it and you encourage people um, to, to be open as well, then if it does, consider it a good thing. Um, and it's good to say, you know what, every now and again, you need to step away from it. You need to sort of censor yourself, centralise yourself and remind yourself that, you know, 
you're doing positive things for positive reasons. They try to be the change that you want to see and all that sort of stuff. So you do need some time away. Sometimes you go through periods where you're just struggling and you need to talk to someone. You know, I always encourage that. Sometimes you might just want to question, but you, you need time away because you're questioning your self-worth or path in life and you need a few days to not let the world come in and invade that. So it's good to have that little break sometimes to just back away and, and remind you who you are. Um, and then you watch Manchester United play and they lose a game and it feels like normalcy, consistency in, in the worst kind of way. Uh, a couple of comments, as I said, already there, so I'll get to them straight away. Gary Cook uh, says, Morning, Wayne and Paul. Hope you're both well. Can you see where another win is coming from? Would you play the youngsters and drop the players who are leaving for free? Is, I, these are questions, obviously, we've talked on a weekly basis. And First of all, where another win is coming from? I mean, we'll talk about that in due course as well, but it's a good question. Would you play the youngsters? Honestly, Paul, when, when he... he Name the team on Saturday. I, I saw the reason for it. A lot of people are saying bring all the youngsters in now and, and give them whatever. But I, I thought, you know, Everton are in a relegation fight. It's away from home. Possibly not the best environment to bring these kids in, knowing that they're in a culture of a team that just aren't going to fight in these kind of games. So it's not a good environment to place those players in. You've you've mentioned that on previous podcasts as well. But the home games are a different matter, aren't they? You play Norwich and Brentford at home and you would think like three of these kids at least deserve a chance to play. But I think Saturday showed one thing, that the players who were leaving for free, the, were the very obvious players who were leaving for free. You've got to start looking. There's no point playing them anymore, right? It's a great question from Gary. That's exactly the mail on the head. You've got to stop playing them because it's doing nobody any good. No, it's, it's not. I mean... If the players were, if the players had been showing a, a good attitude throughout, then you think to yourself, well, you want them on there, you want their experience, and you think to yourself, yes, they're going, or they, you know, contracts up, whatever they're going, then you think to yourself, well, you might want that, but you'd say the players are in that situation. It, no, they shouldn't, they shouldn't really be playing. You have to be looking forward now, especially the position that United are in. Um, I certainly wouldn't have played any young players in that game against Everton. Um, I worked. I worked the game, and I I was asked a question about how did I think this one would go. I said after the week that Everton have had, and I was at I was at West Ham last weekend. Um, I saw them, I saw them play midweek. I said this is the kind of game that United would mostly take a bit of pressure off of Everton by allowing them to get three points. I, I was proved right. Um, a little bit was in my mind was thinking about that game. Um, the 4 0. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that, how embarrassing that was for Manchester United at that given time, and how, again, this has almost replicated it without, without, the, without, the, um, without as many goals. So um, it's, a, it's a worry for me. But the youngsters coming in now, even when you talk about Norwich, Norwich won at the weekend. So you think to yourself, they're not still counting themselves out. Is that. Is that I think it's more pressure. Do you need to put the youngsters into a in a position where they're playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world in one of the poorest times ever, and put them under that pressure, knowing that it could be a major embarrassment? It doesn't matter if they're kids; people are just going to see it um, months, years down the road that Manchester United lost to maybe a Norwich at home who finished bottom of the Premier League. That's something that I don't think those young players deserve. The ones who got them in a mess, as the saying goes from the good old days, 
should be the ones who try and get them out of the mess. But that was in the days when players played with a bit of pride. Um, not anymore. That, that, that adage is gone. Um, the game against Brentford, it's a tough game. Brentford, Brentford and with a manager, he's going to want to come to Old Trafford and they've gone to Stamford Bridge and they're fresh Chelsea. He's going to want to come to Old Trafford and make a name for himself and for Brentford by their first visit or their first time in the Premier League. First time, I'm going to say top division. What? Yeah, top division. Um, and then go and win at Old Trafford in their first season back after how many God knows years. Mm. I don't think you. I don't really think you can put young players into that scenario with some of the players who, you know, some of these players who are under contract, um, because I don't think they're going to get any help, and it could maybe hinder them to be tarred with the same brush as some of the players out there already. So yeah. understand what people are saying about these players not being involved next season, but I don't think it's it's like turning around and saying to young players, well, you've been let down by these pros. These ones playing in front of you. We're going to put you up on the we're going to put you up on the stand now, and we're going to flog you because yeah. of them. You have to take their punishment. That's not fair. No, right. We've got a great question from Ben as well about Tenog, but we'll, I'll come to that a little bit later because obviously that's where the con conversation is going to take us. Um, no, it's a great point, Paul, and, and and you're absolutely right. And that's that was my fear, especially in the away games. But yeah, you, you made a convincing argument for the, for the home games as well. And you kind of think maybe at this point, because the players have exposed themselves for what they are, maybe it's fine to just sit, let them see out the three or four games towards the end of the season, let them achieve this failure, which is going to be on them. I know that the managers paid a price for it, but the players have got no hiding place now. So let them just achieve this obscurity and then be done with it um, as difficult it is, as unpalatable as it is to watch. It's, sometimes you look at things and uh, people were doing it under Ollie and they were saying, oh, there's got to be deeper reasons for this, why have we, we've fallen back so bad? But sometimes the, the question, the answer to the question is obvious and the players just, I mean, the, the commitment levels are just outrageously poor um, and you could see that too pedestrian. Two pedestrian on Saturday. Let, let's talk about it then. Everton, 1 0. Another failure to respond to a setback. Everton weren't playing well. It wasn't like they were they were storming us. Like, you know, they got a goal on the break and then they just settled for it and they didn't have to play well to get the result. They didn't have to defend particularly well. United had nothing up front and they didn't even, uh, Ragnick didn't even try and address that. In fact, he was taking off forwards and bringing on midfielders. Um, they did. Uh, you know, this is United's modus operandi for this season. They've failed to come back into games. When they've been let down early on with the goal, they just sort of plod through the rest of the game. Um, what do you think of it? I mean, it's abysmal. You mentioned the, the 4-0, and you, you're right. At least that evidence side, they sense blood. They sense blood, and they got the blood, and they, they tore us apart on that day. On Saturday, they didn't sense blood because they're a poor team. They were there for the taking. And and then we just sort of like sat down and let them roll over us. It, I've never seen that. I mean, you, you again, to mention that 4-0, it was like that, but even worse because of the fact that it was, it was a poor team that we were playing against. You go to Goodison, you know that the crowd will be up for it. So you know that Everton are going to be up for it. 
But it wasn't like that on Saturday. It was like they were flat, we were flat, and we still let it happen to us. You know, Ragnick talked about the first 20 minutes that we were in control. Well, maybe we controlled it a little bit, but it wasn't it wasn't con- like a dominant control of the game. And as soon as like they scored, you knew it was either going to finish 1-0 or more goals to them. You knew there was nothing there from United. And that is criminal, isn't it, Paul? It's absolutely a, a damning indictment of these players. Yeah, I, I don't know that, but he just said there, ran Nick saying, first 20 minutes, control. Cross them, I would have had more control of a wet fish than what they had control of that game, to be perfect. And it's not a chance where they in control. It was two poor teams um, trying their best to make more than three passes. That's, that's what that was. It was it was awful to watch the game, first 20 minutes. But, um, I'll, you know, I, like I said earlier, I was at um, London Stadium watching Everton play against West Ham's West Ham. West Ham's strength was playing at a tempo initially and getting the ball in behind them. Bowen kept get, getting in behind them. Antonio kept getting in behind them. Limbo and Te- Antonio couldn't finish a fish supper. Um, but they was getting in behind them. On the other side, Ben Rama getting in behind them. United yeah. never got behind them until Ilanga come on. And he made one run with the ball, but one run with the ball behind him to get to the byline to pull it back, and the other one he made a run, an like an Andre Konchelskis run, was an angled run with a straight pass to try and get him behind. Other than that, um, Rashford and Sancho never never tried to run without the ball. Sancho will not run without the ball. Don't understand it, really. And I'm saying to myself, seventy odd million and won't run without the ball, and he's got good pace. Still not not done enough. So then you start looking in midfield and you think it's up for something to happen and it wasn't. It was laboured. All that just there. And every time they got the ball, you're waiting for it. You think it's all right. And it was and you, it was predictable. Really, really predictable when it happened. You know when they got the ball, you knew what was you knew what was going to happen because of the way they are set up with the players they've got. They haven't got a centre forward to play off. They haven't got a centre forward who's going to make a running behind to see if a centre-half wants to run in, run in behind. They haven't got it. When you're up against one of the worst centre-halves in the Premier League in Michael Keane, you've got to do, you've got to try and work him. And never once done it. Ben Godfrey, another one, a full-back centre-half who, who's, you know, Burnley embarrassed them. West Ham, you know, flattered them with the scoreline. And West Ham weren't that good either on that yeah. last Sunday. So, Sunday before last, sorry. So, um, they, they let themselves down again. And I, I just knew it was going to happen. I really knew it was going to happen. The other side of me, when I'd done my predictions, I knew they were going to struggle, but I still had Manchester United to win the game. But when it comes to actually being asked direct, I had to say what I thought when I woke up that morning and, and I'm travelling on a train. And I was kind of thinking to myself, do I really want to do this game? Because I think I know what's going to happen. Everton fans were going to want blood. They want to turn it into the atmosphere as it was against Man City. The thing about it is that they never really got going at Goodison, the fans. They never got going until that goal was scored and they went and they, all of a sudden it was everything was back. It was a big party in the stadium and it was like trying to really make it really a, a bad place to be. But after that, even then, they got nervous, the fans. They just believed that Everton were going to give a goal away because Everton don't keep clean sheets unless they play Manchester United. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, harking back to that 4-0, um, Oli said something like, I'll, I'll be here and be successful, and some of these players won. Six played yesterday, and I think someone said it was 9 or 12 who were still contracted in, in the squad as well. So no, it's fair to say that in his first summer, summer Oli was pretty ruthless, but also an indication of how the ownership has hurt the club in terms of player turnover. I mean, the entire midfield three, Matic, Fred and Pogba, they all who played in that 4-0 all played yesterday and we were as poor in midfield then as we were yesterday and Pogba came on and seemed to be playing more for a red card than an equaliser um, which was just I mean what what do you say at this point just there's no point in carrying on with, with any of it um, at United uh, a couple more comments coming in 100% true Paul looks like a City fan I can assure you that he is not um, I didn't even realise that I've just been to the gym this morning this is my gym gear I can only yeah. apologise for not, not having me thinking, Ed, on. Definitely not a City fan, though, I'll tell you that. Um, so, damn, did Wayne read all those books? All those ones? Yes, all those ones I wrote. <laughs> so, yes, like, go and hide and, and write, write some more, actually, on United's history. It's a better place to hide than the present and future. But we need to talk about um, the news that was coming out last week. Um, so Ben asks, um, morning, gents, I'm um, Hearing that Ten Hag wants control over ingoings, outgoings, renewals. If so, can't see that being agreed, although it's reasonable. If they don't agree, it's a message to any other top-level hyped manager, go to United at your peril. It goes back to this thing about Ole, you know, saying, you know, saying that six players played yesterday who said that it wouldn't play again, even though he's not in control of that. I think it's a turnover. I mean, this complete control thing, Paul, is something that's been made over the last few few days at this point. It's an obvious one as well, one that's undermined various managers before. You would assume that any manager who takes over in any job is going to say, I want complete control over goings and outgoings. But I just think like now, I mean, first of all, I'll ask you that question as Ben's asked it. Do you, what do you think about that? I mean, the, the fact that he's sort of said, I want complete control that should be like a no-brainer, right? I mean, regardless of the Blazers' track record or anything, any manager going into a job should be saying something like that. If you're going to go down in flames, you'd rather actually, you'd rather have the match in your hand yourself, wouldn't you, rather than someone else holding it, to be perfectly yeah. honest, as a manager. Um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why the game doesn't want to, or I should say football doesn't want to have the person at the top being called a manager, because that means then... It sounds like he's got control and they don't want to give him that control. Seems like they want now, because there's so much money, to have this sporting director for him to make certain decisions about things. But it does seem to work for certain clubs. I don't know if it works over here, but it definitely works in Europe. It certainly works with, with him and Van der Sar. But yeah. I think the trust between the director, football director and the owners or chairman is a lot better than what it is with Manchester United and and their yeah. owners because their owners are looking at it completely different to how so employing someone so the people who they've got on their structure at the moment on their little tree with Fletcher and whoever they're just names really they're people who who've got mostly great ideas but none of them actually get get sanctioned to be perfectly honest it's just filling the criteria this is what we're doing but in theory we're saying from over over the pond, this is what we this is what we're going to do. And every signing, there could be some really good signings out there. Say, so, i.e., there's a really good centre half out there for 
25 million, but there's a centre half over there who's worth 80 million, but we sign that one for 80 million. Um, it's maybe maybe just the same, but the other one might be slightly better. But this one's got a better commercial value because he represents England. So so that's how we'll sign him, and then we look at it, and then we'll see and wait a while to see what people are doing with their thumbs or little fingers on phones in the way and what they're saying on pluses and minuses of players. And then we might go that way. So as a manager, you want, when you look at a player, you, you see that he's a very good player, but you want to know what's he all about off the pitch. Yeah. You want to find out what has he been like in other dressing rooms at other clubs, what other players have said about him. So you have the right people to work with you who will go and find those things out. That's what you do. You don't go and buy them because they're a commercial. They're commercially, they, they can sell shirts. They can do whatever. You go and buy them. On, you look at their personality, footballer, tick. Then you suddenly go character and personality. Are they going to fit into what you've got already? Manchester United haven't been doing that. They've got, they've got players in on, on, how, on what they are on paper. And then, but they haven't looked about what they're like in real life. And in real life, some of these players have been bad people. They've been the wrong people, the wrong characters to fit in. And that's where it's wrong. So long, I'm going to really minimise it now. He's right. And he shouldn't come unless he has got 100%. If he wants somebody, he wants that player. And if that player is not going to sell the amount of shirts that the, the club wants, I'll tell you what, Still go and get that player and play the longer game and say, but that player is going to take us towards winning a Premier League or a Champions League or in theory at this moment in time for Manchester United to win a trophy. And then you, that's where the commercial value will get will get the value because it, then it will be a team value rather than an individual. Because that's yeah. the problem that's missed at the moment. Manchester United have become a team, a club, a club without really an FC on the end, but a club that is, is just involving individuals, all individuals with their own commercial value. No, you're right. You mentioned this maybe even two years ago, going back to um, a comment you said something like um, too many players at United who are more interested in the profile of playing for the club than what the reality of what it takes to play for them. And I think now... United have traditionally always had that balance of like seven or eight workers and three or four stars. And now they've got 11 players, well, maybe 10, nine or 10 players who think that they're stars and one or two workers. And one of them's in the net. So <laughs> tells you everything that you need to know. You need to redress that balance and you need a prag not necessarily a pragmatic coach, but someone who identifies that. And the good thing about Ten Hag is that from the philosophy that he, you know, Ajax have always had that philosophy of like 11 players working hard and, and moving around. The difference with Van Gaal is that he was so stoic with it. Those players had to be specialists in areas and they had to stay in the certain areas, whereas Ten Hag might be a bit more modern in the fluidity of the movement. And if, if he can do that, then that's a, a big thing. But I do think that the complete control is an obvious point. But you mentioned it there, the, the point is that he's got to be back to make those decisions. And, you know, we saw it with Mourinho. He, he didn't have the back. And he had the, it looked like he had the guts to end Pogba Martial's career at United four years ago. And, and let's face it, that would have been about time because the four years since have been no good for anyone. 
if Tenog is hired in good time, Paul, so obviously one of the big problems with Van Gaal is that when he first came in, a lot of these players, like a lot of the senior players, had already gone in the meantime. So Vidic, Ferdinand, Evra, Giggs, they'd all retired or left and gone to another club. So he wasn't making any major decisions in terms of outgoings. He couldn't because they'd all gone. So he was bringing in new players to replace them, trying to install a new new culture into the club. If Ten Hag is hired in good time, where Pogba's contract is still on the table and, and Martial obviously got to make a decision on him and Lingard or whatever, I know that Pogba's probably going to leave and, and, and so is Matter and so is probably Matic and and Chong and um, Jones and a couple of other players like that. Can it still work that Ten Hag comes in and looks like he's in control of those outgoings? Lingard as well. Or is it or has it gone too far now? Has it gone too far because you know those players are going? You know what I'm trying to say? That if he comes in and sort of says, right, we're not even going to make this, this contract that's been on the table for Pogba, take it off. We don't want it anymore. We're making a clean slate. And that would give him a little bit of a power in the dressing room. Do you think that that's achievable or do you think that that, that horse has bolted now? Um... I would say if he's going to come in, if he's going to want to make a big thing, that's, I think that'd be one of the things that he has to do. And I would think that's one of the things he'd want to do. He'd want to do that. I think that would just, that might give him a bit of kudos to be able to make those decisions. Jesse Lingard, no different as well. The Jesse Lingard scenario is one of those ones you think, yourself, this could keep going as long as, as long as EastEnders has been on TV now. And it's wearing so, a bit... Where let me interrupt on that then. Do you think he can do it then? You think that if he came in, let's say he's hired before the end of May, that he can come in and sort of say, and it looks like it's his decision rather than, you know, like the, the pretty girl who you ask out and she she says no and you weren't interested anyway, which is basically what's going to happen with these players. They're probably going to go, but do you think that it looks like he can he can have the power to look like he's made that decision? Do you think that that's achievable? I, I believe so. It's the only way it can work. It's the only way it can work. Too many people know things about Manchester United. And the problem is they know it. They're getting it all from the wrong sources in that sense. Yes. They don't want to hear it really from there, but they're having to grab it and then make embellish bits, take bits away because the club, the club, the people are not being transparent about the situation. There shouldn't be talk of a contract on the table for Pogba and it's up to him if he signs it. What has he done to earn it? Jesse Lingard's situation, that should have been put to bed. He should have virtually been told, you're not going to play for the rest of the season. You can go. But story comes out that Rennick has said that, you know, that he's in his plans. He's going to get game time, you know, after January. It's been nowhere near it. The opportunities to play him have been there. But yeah. he's not played him, so he's not. So you can see that there's people who are controlling it. Um, Jesse Lingard... Has got a big following on social media. That shouldn't be yeah. a reason why it should be at a football club, to be perfectly honest. Not the way to run a, a highly successful business like Manchester United, really, when you're looking at it, the strength of Manchester United is what's on the pitch. And at the moment, it's very, very poor. So that will affect the top line upstairs because commercially, they're losing that bit. United's strength is their history, but it's a strength they could lose. They're losing every minute of the day because at the moment they're not creating any they're not creating any history in being involved in stuff being involved in semi-finals finals competing for a league so that wears thin 
I go back to my seven, eight years living in Southeast Asia and the amount of Man United and Liverpool fans there. Incredible. Mm. But it's amazing how many Leicester fans were there when they won the league. How many Chelsea fans there was there. How many more? How many Man City fans there are now? And I always yeah. say to people, you go over there and you look in the wardrobe, there'd be a, where before... Before it was just a two. It could have been two shirts in there, two different shirts. Now there's four or five different shirts there because those clubs are being successful. And the last shirt at the end just pushed on, pushed in a dark bit of the um, wardrobe is that Manchester United shirt. And that's how things change. Asia's a big market, and at the moment Manchester United are disappearing. They're not being t- they're not being talked about as what they were before because they're not successful. They are not, yeah. they're not there. And it isn't all about winning. Competing makes a big difference as well. And they're not competing. No, absolutely not. Um, Patrick, with some comments this morning. Um, good morning, Patrick. Hope you're doing well. Um, he says, morning, guys. Slightly conflicted about 10 organ complete control reports. Previously, we've been criticised for not having overarching structure and philosophy independent of coaching. However, I'd probably trust an ideas over the people we have in charge at the moment. I think that's where we are. Like the, we've had this conversation so many months now that um, it's a, a case of getting the best out there and, and trusting that manager, even if it's not the um, obvious... Well, even if there's no one that's standing out and saying, pick me as Manchester United manager. Um, he also says, apparently we entrusted full autonomy to Van Gaal and the claim was he jettisoned too many players too quickly. I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, we just talked about the players that he lost, but then the second summer it was like everyone like Hernandez and Rafael and Evans and all the sort of squad players, they were all gone with as well. So um, massive, massive loss of in, um, experience that we had at United around that time. Um, it is interesting to see what's going to happen with this. Just a quick one to conclude on Van, um, on Ten Hag, sorry. Um, you've obviously, we've talked about this in the past, and you've talked about Pochettino being your choice. Now it looks like it's going to be Ten Hag. Do you think, like I've just said there, I don't think that there are two obvious candidates to jump out, but those are the two that have been favourites since day one. Do you think it could be, are you positive it could be a good choice, even though you were sort of on the, the Pochettino fence? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, Pochettino got it for me because he's been in the Premier League. He knows how to to dig in and get things and and improve players. You know, that's the bit I liked about him. But he would be um, he would be no different after the time he's having at PSG. I'm sure that he'd want to come back and work with players who he could improve the way he'd want to, the way he believes, rather than be given players at PSG. He wants to manage. In that yeah. way, um, so Alex was a fan of his as well. I just think there's something about him that says Manchester United. Ten Hag, don't know enough about him, but I like the fact him or someone else is speaking up and saying what he wants to do. It's easy to come out and say, oh, "I want to manage Manchester United." And I think those days are gone now. Whoever that, whoever that is going to manage a club, doesn't want to suddenly be living in the world of being berated and being scrutinised week in, week out. You'll accept United, there's, you're always going to be scrutinised managing a club like Manchester United, but you want to be scrutinised in the right way rather than in a negative way. And whoever takes that job on at this moment in time, and if they were to go in in the same way that everyone else has, they're just going, to, they're just going through the motions. And it doesn't matter how big the name is, 
it's going to be the same problem. So you're better off getting someone in who's proved himself at the club that wants to improve young players, bring them into a, a successful team, go out and at, at young ages, at young age, play play in sides that win championship, be it that it is, you know, Dutch, it is in Holland, but still, you know, still you play for Ajax, a big club, a highly successful club and renowned all over the world, Ajax, and you bring them into that culture. So he knows how to be around it and to introduce players. So given that opportunity, allow Manchester United to maybe slightly deviate a little bit with someone who has worked in the system and producing young players, like Manchester United did, or, yeah, the word did. It is a did. They haven't for a long while when there's players there who might need a chance. But those players are only going to improve if they've got a highly a successful team to go into where every pro in there is playing in the right manner with the right attitude, it was going to help them. If Ryan Giggs, if you could introduce a Ryan Giggs into playing with, with this lot here at this moment in time, Ryan Giggs would not have been a Ryan Giggs. Mm. You, you, improve with, you, you always improve with good players around you. It's as simple as that. That's, the, yeah. that's the, what happens. That's, the, that's what takes you forward. That's the bonus of football being a team game. It's impossible yeah. to do it on your own. And you need people to talk to you, to help you as a young player. And that isn't there at the moment, Wayne. So this, if he does come in, then he's going to come in and he's going to want his way of doing it. And it can only be for the good of the club, really. As good yeah. as a club. You can't just go out now. If you was to suddenly throw a billion pound at any manager to come in now and say you've got a billion pound over two windows to make us a Premier League champions or Champions League, you'll turn turn it. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It's impossible to be that way. It isn't just about throwing money at it like that way because we've seen teams who are doing it. We've seen City. You look at Liverpool and what they've done. Everyone talks about how much they've spent, but it didn't happen over a season or two seasons. To get the consistency of being competing at the top all the time, as Sir Alex done over his tenure, then yeah. it takes it takes time. And once you've built, you build within. That was taken away from Sir Alex, that building while he was with a successful team. And that's where Manchester United lost that way. That's when the cycle stopped. It was slowing down and slowing down. 2013 was someone threw a stick in a spoke. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, history tells us that... Um... Yeah, Ben says if you're making a meal, you don't want others lobbing random ingredients into the mix and you don't know what they are. Yeah, that's definitely what's happened at United. Um, yeah, Norwich, you mentioned a little bit about it earlier, Paul. Um, they, without, they were without a league win since January and obviously they got one against Burnley at the weekend, which at least takes that off our back. But uh, at the same time, now they're probably coming into Old Trafford thinking this is a team on the down if you're up for it. And that seems to be the only thing that teams require these days is to be up for it and positive against us, then we're going to be there for the taking. Um, the, the the thing that counts against this Norwich team is the fact that they are so low in quality that, you know, you would expect United to still have enough to see it through, but we've been there before, I've said this many times, and United, if there's one thing they've been successful at, is finding new ways to disappoint us this season, and it seems like that heading into this game, doesn't it? Not without wanting to be too pessimistic, it seems like all the ingredients are there for a, 
you wouldn't be surprised if Norwich get a result, basically. <laughs> I remember the game at Carrow Road, and they gave, they gave United a right scare at Carrow Road, by the way, and they were a little bit unfortunate <laughs> the way things ended up, the way they played. Um, so they're going to come there. They've got, as the saying goes, Dean Smith will be talking about it, leading up to it, and he'll be virtually using the words, or not as he comes out and actually says it, we've got nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, everyone's expecting us to go down. We're going to Old Trafford, but he's going to Old Trafford knowing that if he can get his team, if you go away, if the idea you go away from home is to silence the fans, and that means to maybe get the first goal at best, get the get the first corner, turn them yeah. around, get them behind them, get the fans on someone back, isolate somebody, cause them a problem. They could, all that will be coming out. The cliches will be coming out in the dressing room before the game. What Dean Smith will be saying, you know, it can be you can make your job easy in the first 10 minutes by doing this and doing that. So, and if they were to come to Old Trafford and get three points, I mean, I'm sure they've sold out all their away tickets over that weekend. There'll be so many people from Norfolk around Manchester over this over the long weekend just for the game. You know, they would have done, they would have done it because what the game is, it's virtually the one that makes or breaks them. So they've got nothing to lose. They're going to they're going to enjoy it. And given how United played at the weekend, and I'm trying to think of a player who who could go and just make a difference to get everyone else going. There isn't one. There isn't one way. And you you can try your best. You can name people. People want to talk about Fernandez and I'm going. No, he's going to get no one going. People will say, oh, Scott McTominay might be fit. You know, pumping the badge has, hasn't hasn't taken three points anywhere, to be perfectly honest, pumping the badge. So you're looking for players to have a presence just on the park and, and with the ball at their feet. And if you're looking for some, you're looking for a player to drag them along. And that player, you know, left Manchester United in 1993, and that was Brian Robson someone like that who dragged people along, you know, and and then all of a sudden they made made it all that happen within the club. Someone in there yeah. goes, I want to be like them. I want to be like Roy Keane. I want to be like him. At the moment, anybody in there now coming through saying, words they'll say, I don't want to be like any of these. That's what, yeah. they, that's what they would say. There's no one, no one to look up to at this moment in time because you don't know what you're going to get. So yeah. it's, it's, it's unbelievable that we're talking about you know, are United going to take three points from Norwich City? The last time that came up was 92-93 season when Norwich, when Norwich were a decent team. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember the game the following season at Old Trafford drew 2-2, but that was a great game, a great game of football. That, um, yeah, I always remember the game at Carroll Road, which was basically the game that made, I don't want to say made you as a team, but it kind of did, didn't it? The three three goals in the first 20 minutes or something where the counter-attacking and everything, it was just, I think that was the first moment where everything sort of clicked with Cantona and Kanchelskis and Giggs and just went, wow, this could be one of our best teams. And obviously for the next sort of two years, it was. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've got, remember, you've got to remember as well, you've got to remember as now, Wayne, that's being put to bed now because... We're non-existent now because it's all about now. The greatest teams are now. Well, yeah, and, and they're certainly not. I mean, the, it's funny because we were having that conversation last week. Is this the, the worst post-War United team? And I've seen a lot of people having that conversation over over the week and people saying, oh, well, it's as bad as since the 70s. And I'm like, 
just have a look at the seventies. Just have a look at the seventies and realize that's a massive um, insult to them because at least they were fighting. They were fighting and they knew how Correct. to play football. You know, they had a. If you watch their football, it's with flair. It was one touch. They were trying imagination, imaginative things and things like that. And this team just. They have nothing, no understanding of what it takes to. I don't feel the, that they've got understanding. The thing about it as well, Wayne, we've got to remember, and we're talking about it now because we are living in this now world, by the way. And we have to remember, and I've said it a thousand times, and you have, the football before 92 was no different than what we're saying about now. It was still 11 players, the improvements yeah. of pitches, the balls are lighter. They say the players are fitter. I would say the agility-wise, every player's going on now nearer that Premier League level I'm about, nearer to being 100% than what we were because we had smaller squads, but we had backbone. And when we talk, when we talk about United, get, when they got relegated, every game, he was, was competing. Yeah. And every single... The team that finished at the bottom of the league, yes, they might not have been the best in the league, but they competed against everybody. They didn't decide, oh, we're not going to win that game and we're going to make changes and do this because our next game's winnable. That squad yeah. of 14, 13, 14 players fought in every game. So every game was a battle. So that team that got relegated at Man- Manchester United competed and every player t- had, to, had to give it because they lived their life in Manchester, working class city, and they knew if they didn't give it, They'll be told on the street. But then as well, they had teammates who'd do exactly the same to them if they weren't yeah. given it, who weren't given a hundred percent to fight for the cause. And that's why when you look at it today, there's a it's a different way. The the gaps between bottom and top now is, is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And and we can talk about this, but the difference is is monetary. Yeah. Squad size and the quality. And that's why football at the, now People talk about it, but you can't compare it to the football before. You should not compare it in that way because it was a different mentality. It was different kind of footballers in that given time. We were people who believed our life was about football. That was it. And most of us suddenly went into it and we thought we were going to be doing it for, for the whole of our lives. And we was born into it. It was a, it was a working class game now. I call football a middle class game now. Yeah. It's played by oh, yeah. middle class Within it's taken away from the working class, and that's why we are not seeing those characters, those men before. We're not. There's no Roy Keynes, there's no Brian Robsons being produced anymore. Players of that ilk, who, who are in that manner, because the players coming out now are virtually guided into that into a system now of football. Ben says they're so poor now. That's a hard story to sell, and two, the glories of the past starts becoming more distant, so it becomes hard to monetize. They don't seem to get it. Well, if any club is good at monetizing past glory, it's going to be United, isn't it? Patrick also makes a really good question to conclude the the podcast with Paul. Um, Wayne, Paul, please indulge me. Which three players of the current squad would you keep? I need some make believe to cheer me up, stay sane, and I'm gonna. I'll I'll start because I don't mm. I want to I want to answer the question a different way because it's basically which which three players of the current squad would you keep? I don't think any of these players. Hang on, let me make sure I'm, I'm. I don't think any of this first team squad will be part of a United team that wins a title. 
that, that's my opinion. Um, as, as for which I would keep, I don't want to be throwing because I still support, still support them when they're on the pitch. Like the ones that I'm faithful about putting in a shift for the shirt. I mean, I, I really don't know. I've criticized Lindelof so so much, but I think he's one who who actually fights for the the cause. Um, De Gea, another bit again with still. And, and Sancho maybe because he's still still young and as I still see there's something in him. I just look at those three players and I think maybe those three, but I'm still not convinced that any of them, maybe Sancho, but you'd have to get the other ten right, who will be part of our next title winning side. Um, giving you thirty or forty seconds there, Paul, to come up with your own answers. So if you can you go with three players who you would keep? I'm going, to, I'm going to go with two of yours in the goalkeeper and Lindelof because you know what you're going to get from them. I'm going to go with a player and everyone knows I, I really um, I don't know what Patrick's going to think about this one but I'm only because of what, what, he's, what he's taken personally from everybody. Everyone's got an opinion about him. He's been judged off the back of another player which everyone's raved about but a few things have been said about him now because of his performances. I'll go. I'll take Wan Bissaka because he hasn't gone missing. Every time he's come out and played, he's given everything. He hasn't sulked. He hasn't gone whinging to the paper, moaning about things, saying, dropping little hints at things. He's unhappy. He's a lad who's come out of London, come up to Manchester, um, been in a in a very very difficult period. I thought he did well at Everton. He, he always was getting on the ball, and everyone talks about him. No one ever talks enough about his strength and there was a certain fallback yesterday for a team and everyone wants to talk about his assists but they talked about his defending and his defending was woeful yesterday by all accounts woeful his positioning i've seen one of the goals position awful but they all they do is they put another spin on it wan they put a negative spin on it for him but yeah. the thing about him he has not gone missing wayne every time he comes out he still tries to get on the ball. He still does all the good things. There's still yeah. a, there's still a chance for him. Still a chance yeah. for him to become a good fullback. I'm not saying he's going to be at Man United, but if you're going to keep free, you'll keep him because he still wants to learn. He still you can trust him to still roll his sleeves up for you, which is a rarity at the moment for the club. Yeah, um, maybe being a bit unfair to Fred as well. Because I know we've both been a fan of his recent form. I just look at it at the bigger picture and thinking, or oh, are any of these able of able to play in a team that's going to win a title? And I just think they're miles away from it. And I'm not even at that point. I'm not even being critical because you're looking like Ronaldo. Yeah, of course Ronaldo's top class, but first of all, you're going to need you're going to need the work around him, um, and you're going to need basically another ten players anyway in a complete shift. Of well, we have to say as well, Ronaldo was top class. Was it was, no, was, yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt in that at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's definitely... I mean, the, the recent performances have shown that... I just think if you get the service into him, but then you've got to be a specific team who's doing that and looking for him. And you could argue that any team is looking for, for a striker, but we can see that something's not right there. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult question, but a great question to ask. Um, thanks, 
thanks Patrick for that. And he says, enjoy today's usual. Have a good weekend. We got a comment on your point there, Paul, from uh, about Wambasaka. He puts up working professionally every game. His technique just makes everything that he does look awkward and people give him stuff for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he was, um, he did a decent job on Saturday and, you know, he didn't go missing and he did come in and, yeah. And, I mean, that is, when you're looking at this team and you're looking for straws to clutch, that's probably the biggest one that you can at least go missing, and that's more than you can say for many other players. Um, well, it's been a tough one to get through this week for sure. Um, we will be trying, try hopefully, have some positives to think of next week against Norwich. Um, well, hope everyone has a great Easter. We'll be back to talk about it. Um, whatever happens, if you've enjoyed the podcast, um, even with the depressing analysis of it and the realistic way that we've had to look at it, please give us a like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on the audio podcast, please give us a review and subscribe on the platform you're listening on. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe. Thanks for watching and listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.